In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today's movie is a tough one, so I'm sending in my best guest. And when we roll across the 59th Street Bridge tomorrow on our way to freedom, we're going to have that guest leading the way. So, Kevin Mosteller. Is Escape from New York a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? It has not been remade yet. Uh, there have been probably a hundred imitations of it. The most recent, uh, the 2012 film Lockout. Uh, and there has been a proposed remake that is in development hell. Has been since 2008. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, last we heard anything on it, it was uh, Robert Rodriguez was attached to direct and... I think Jude Law was going to play Snake Plissken at one point. <laughs> that, I don't hate that, but I also don't love it. Yeah, I, everybody was, it, it, I think, got the reception of a eye roll and a groan when they announced it, which is why it never got made. Yeah. But, uh, up to this point, has not been remade yet. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against Jude Law. I, I think he's uh, good for a number of things. I've recast him in a number of things, but like, I don't. I, I I never think he's great as, like, the leading man. I always think he's good as, like, the villain or this side character. Or literally in, like, eight movies, the the character that the main character is stealing the identity of. Right, right. And he's, he's like, a really great just character actor. Yeah. But I don't see him being, like, an anti-hero like Snake Plissken. No. It's just... And, and he's a hard, hard character to kind of crack, too. So... Well, I look yeah. forward to talking about that. But yeah. for anyone who, uh, you've been on the show more than anyone, we were just saying that, but just in case this is the first time any of the listeners are hearing your voice, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, Kevin? Uh, well, I am uh, I'm a filmmaker, a writer, and composer. Since the great pandemic shutdown of 2020, I've been <laughs> really focusing on uh, on uh, film scores, and I've got a, got a few in the in the bank right now, ready to go. Beyond that, I've made a couple horror films of my own. This film was, to me, kind of a huge inspiration. It turned me on to John Carpenter, who is like... I feel like John Carpenter is my generation's Alfred Hitchcock, where we all kind of like... You know, everybody worships Hitchcock, but like all the people that I knew were totally into John Carpenter movies. <laughs> and and we're like, I want to be this guy. This is why we go to film school. We write, direct, we do the music, everything. So... Um, this one was a big one for me, Good. uh, in, in getting me started and on a, on a path of, of writing, directing and making film scores and all I, that good stuff. I think the Alfred Hitchcock comparison is fair. Cause like, even though we treat all the, these Hitchcock movies as high art, they were kind of the pop movies of the day. And John Carpenter's movies are very like, they, they cover a different couple of different genres, but they're also very like the pop movie, but like kind of perfecting that genre. I agree with that 100%. Uh, he he was great at, at making thriller horrors. Um, I know Carpenter himself, I'm, an, I'm a bit of a nerd, uh, <laughs> Carpenter himself had re- really preferred to compare himself to director Howard Hawks in, instead of Alfred Hitchcock. But um, yeah, I, I strongly agree that uh, that he's definitely crossed a lot of genres and brought a lot to it 
that uh, we we kind of took for granted for a little while there, even though he's made some serious stinkers. Yeah. Like, let, let's be real. Go, uh, Village of the Damned, Ghost of Mars, not good films. Uh. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a film degree or, or have a good sense of, like, film history, but I'm sure Hitchcock has stinkers, too. It would be weird if he didn't. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, his, his last film, I think, it, is it Family Plot? I think it's called Family Plot. Um, oh man! <laughs> I mean, does try it... sitting through that one. It's I... it's rough. Oof. Fair. Yeah, he was dialing it in towards the end there, um, really banking on on his name. Yeah, just selling well. everything. Plus, my understanding is that he wasn't a good person. So I've heard that as well. Uh, when did you first see Escape from New York? I first saw Escape from New York in about 1994. Four or five, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but before Netflix, before streaming and all that, there was the video store, and that was your Saturday night. And I cannot express the disappointment you felt after you convinced your parents to drive you all the way to the video store. You got there, and the video you wanted was checked out. Gone. <laughs> so your parents ain't going to drive you to another video store just to find that movie. So they were like, find something else, kid, and hurry up. Uh, for me, this one, I was walking through the action aisle about 1994, 95, and saw the video cover with the famous poster with the, you know, it's like sideways at a Dutch angle, and the head from the Statue of Liberty is sitting in the middle of, you know, Wall Street Avenue or whatever. I saw that, and it just captured my imagination. And I took the movie home, and it it captured my imagination even more. I was at the time a music student in school as well. Like I'd learned trumpet and I was learning piano and I was bored with both instruments. Like, what am I ever going to do with this? Right. I heard the opening to escape from New York and I was like, this is what you can do with a piano. Suddenly I was like excited (laughs) about music. (laughs) Like, uh, it just captured my imagination, the way it was shot, the music, the, you know, the story, the, the great anti-hero, the comedic sidekicks. There were, it was just a lot of fun. That's amazing. And uh, I remember the last time you were on the show, you were like, well, the next time we, have, we talk, we're talking about Escape from New York. So this is the first time I've seen the movie. And I was kind of texting you as, as I was watching it, just because I was like, I, I uh-huh. kind of went in knowing nothing. Like I've had a Which couple is the best way to go into this movie. Yeah, this there are a couple movies where I'm like you can find out more about it. Yeah, g- give yourself a, some expectations, but I think for this one it's just like no, no. There's all there's like right at the beginning of the movie is like here's what this movie's about to be about. And you're like great. Why did I wouldn't have needed to talk to anyone about that? Right. I, I've had that experience recently with a couple of other movies of just like going in blind. Let's see what happens. And, and it is uh, kind of the best way to watch a movie like this because it is yeah. so kind of like left field <laughs> um, and, of course, very dated now, unfortunately. Um, but sure, know, still a lot of fun. Very dated, but the, <laughs> like super dated, but in like a, well, this was definitely made in the 80s, but the future yeah. 80s. It's like the uh, it's like the retro futuristic aesthetic from the 50s. It's like, well, this was clearly from the 50s, but in the future, but it's from the 50s. Exactly. And I like I do hate the fact that John Carpenter was right about a lot of things in a lot of his films. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like and he was laughed at at the time by a lot of it, especially with the sequel to this movie. They kind of laughed him out of Hollywood with Escape from L.A. And then like four years later, they elected George Bush, who was essentially the president in Escape from L.A. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I, I've had conversations with people who worked on Idiocracy and they're like, yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah, it's kind of, it's a little uncomfortable that he was so prophetic. (laughs) Yeah, well, Simpsons did it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
but so th- that's why I'm going to say now, like, if you're someone who has kind of had the temptation, hey, maybe I should watch uh, Escape from New York at some point, pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and then come back. Because we're going to go through it. And honestly, I think just for the full experience of, like, watching this movie and just being surprised by some of the crazy stuff that's going to happen, let yourself have that moment. And if, uh, so I'm going to give you a couple seconds. All right, let's assume everyone is back. So, uh, girl in chock full of nuts, huh? <laughs> uh, that was Kurt Russell's wife at the time, believe it Was it, it really? The, yes, that is the <laughs> only reason that the girl in the chock full of nuts existed. <laughs> was, uh, and, I did and mind not you, know that. Yeah, and mind you, Kurt Russell was not really a star at this time either. This was his first kind of, like, macho man action hero role, uh... Before this, he was a Disney kid. Uh, he was he was in like the computer that wore tennis shoes or like the the world's strongest man. He was he was essentially like a Disney kid on you know what you would see in the live action Disney films. To give you context, Escape from New York in 1981 opened against his other film, which was Fox and the Hound. So <laughs> wait, what? Who yes. was he in Fox yep. and the Hound? He was the Hound in oh, Fox really? and the Hound. He was ah. the voice, yeah. Uh, that's he was the amazing. voice actor. That's hilarious. And the, the studio did not want Kurt Russell because they thought he was some Disney kid. And they were like, there's no way this nerd from Disney is going <laughs> to be this cool anti-hero. And so, like, this is this was Kurt Russell's, like, I got to step it up, man. And uh, boy, did he. I love he. it. It's, it's, his, uh, it's his wrecking ball. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, it is his wrecking ball. <laughs> Swinging naked with an eye patch. I mean, sorta. He takes his yeah. shirt off, and there's a snake coming out of his pants. I know. I mean, how how more literal can you get? <laughs> I mean, it basically is like call me snake. So you have a tattoo implying that your dick is a snake. Yeah. So your name is penis. Exactly. Shut up. <laughs> I like to go by dick sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this is unrelated, but did you wear your New York shirt uh, on purpose for this? I did. I like I it. And uh, full marks and uh, deserve to be mentioned. <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm just wearing uh, my, one of my gamer shirts. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I rarely break this out. I'm, I'm horrible with white clothing. I, I just... One of the reasons I'm always clad in black is because it hides the shit that falls out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's great. I love it. It's an amazing visual. Mm-hmm. That's why I said it. <laughs> and uh, I, it, then it, I'm glad we're leaving the summer so that you can finally get back to uh, the color palette you prefer. Ass. I'm very happy with that as well. <laughs> um, which I should mention, like, so one of the things that they, t- like, in this movie is kind of like the political nature of, like, everything's so bad. Crime is so bad that it's like, uh, we had to isolate all of New York, the worst crime city. So I should mention that this is going to be the first episode that's going to drop post-election. Ah, okay. Oh, this will be a lot of fun then. Yeah. yeah. And, like, this is going to be the first November episode. And uh, considering the first episode that I think you were on was the one where I always want to call it All the President's Men, but it's actually called... My Fellow Americans. My Fellow Americans. Just a real political theme that we're keeping going, and I appreciate it. Nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. Especially with a movie like this. Yeah. Because right? it's so weirdly dystopian. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully we're all in a good, uh, good mood. But basically, like, this is a movie kind of inspired by the like the reaganomics of like we got to be tough on crime like this is like the this is what happens when you're not tough on crime it gets this bad and you have to shut down new york 
It it is, and it's worth mentioning too that when this movie was made, New York had not become it hadn't reinvented itself yet. It was like the New York, the punk rock New York, where everything was trashed. Half the buildings were bombed out. The city was bankrupt. It was more like what Detroit is now than than what we think of New York is. This was pre Giuliani coming in and turning Times Square into Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, so it uh, it, it definitely wasn't as much of a stretch to them just being like, you know what? Shut it all down. It's becoming a prison uh, now. That's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But. Well, yeah, but like, honestly, like there are people who still believe that this is kind of like where things would be going and they'd be like, well, we got to give more money to the jail so that we can house the people who need to be in jail as opposed to, hey, it sucks for these people. Maybe we should help them before they put themselves in a position where they would need to go to jail. But that's yeah, uh, exactly that's just my leftist politics yeah. uh, leaking in. Well, that's that's OK, because they're uh, yes anded over here. Um, I, I really one of the things that I always latched onto was this omnipresent. Uh, and it's kind of it's great that he slowly kind of just tapered it in a little bit, that there is a United States police force that is like a, a freaking army and they're just soldiers. Yeah. Watching over the country. And the minute they catch you doing something, this is where you go, whether it's, you know, stealing money to buy some food for your family or there's that lovely song in the in the middle of the movie <laughs> uh, about everybody coming to New York because you stole a buck or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Which was interesting because the movie came out in 81, right? Mm-hmm. But it says it takes place in 1988, which is seven years in the future. No, it, it starts in 1988. That's when the crime rate rises. Ah, okay. The film takes place in 1997. Okay. So it takes place yeah. 16 years in the future instead 16. of... It was a very uh, 80s thing to put things slightly in the future, but not that far in the future. It was, and I feel like a lot of that was politics as well. as uh, a, Like, uh, okay, so this is where we're going if we don't turn things around right now. This is where we could potentially head, and it's pretty dark. <laughs> well, I was also so. going to say that it's also very... I was going to say it's optimistic in the sense that, like, just going from, let's say, 1945, 1950 up to 1980, 1985, there is a massive explosion of technology. Mm-hmm. And that is true. Like, if you presume that massive explosion of technology will continue, like, there's no reason not to, and to think that it would continue in the same style instead of, like, because I would say technology has had a massive explosion since then. Like, even just, like, cell phones in general just in the, like, the past 10 years have been in- insane. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, like, an expectation of an explosion of technology similar to what you're used to without, because you can't conceive of where it's actually going to go. Yeah, and especially, it like, the phones are definitely an interesting one. That was a left turn that I think nobody could predict, right? Right. Like, like, who would have thought we'd be staring into this magic box 90% of our day? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this, uh, the Simpsons joke is that, like, I predict that in the future, computers will be five times as big, and they will fill up city blocks, and they will be able to run at five gigabits per second. Right, and there's a different, uh, a different movie that I just watched called Johnny Mnemonic, where, like, the whole premise is Keanu Reeves is a data smuggler. Oh, yeah. Is, uh his brain capacity is only like a hundred gigabytes or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, 
the the joke always being, of course, like, oh yeah, Keanu's brain can only smuggle 100 gigabytes. I believe it. But, I you know that's a good movie to add to my list of things to eventually do a remake of because I think that'd be fun. Oh, I'd be down. That's it. <laughs> I don't want to get on a tangent, but it, it's bizarrely parallel for 2021. Love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so, so put a pen in that. But like, all right. So the basic premise of this movie is that New York's a giant jail. Everyone who lives there is basically prisoners. Uh, and then there's a giant wall. You escape. Uh, if you try to escape, they shoot you. Um, yep. But uh, a radical hippie movement takes over Air Force One, and it goes down in the city. The president escapes in a pod. Everyone else on the plane dies. And now this person who just got checked into jail, Snake Plissken, a former army something a former yeah, army he, hero who who went dark for he was like special forces or something like that yeah and yeah he robbed robbed the federal reserve yeah and, and now here he is in jail <laughs> about to kick your ass out of the world ruler hero and and so he they're like they give him a deal where he can leave jail if he goes and rescues the president because yes, he's because well why not just go with just get a new president yeah, but he's needed for some sort of something conference, something, something. Yeah, there is a it, it was supposed to be. And again, it's only lightly touched on, but it was supposed to be like a nuclear fission thing that was supposed mm-hmm. to bring peace to the world, peace between these warring nations. And really, the reason I think he even says get a new president or something like that. Maybe I'm confusing it with the sequel. Oh, anyway, um, the whole it turns out that there's a, a tape that has secret information on it that is the real subject of of what has to come back in order for him to get his pardon. Not so much the president, it's what's on this tape. Yeah. So I have a logistics question for you, because mm-hmm. I think we can all agree the best character in this movie is Cabby. I agree, yeah. <laughs> uh, who, um, if this, this uh, escalation in jail time started in uh, 1988 and the movie takes place in 1997... One of the lines Cabby says is, I've been driving this same cab for 30 years, which means he's been driving it since 1967. Mm-hmm. Which means that either he's someone who was living in New York and stayed in New York when it became a jail, or he got sent to jail with his cab also. Yeah, I mean, it's never really explained. I always assumed that, like, one of two scenarios with Cabby, right? He's one of those guys who was like, I'm never leaving. This is my home. Yeah. You know, when there's like a hurricane or something, like, I don't care. Or he was a guy who was a cab driver in the 60s. Uh, New York turned into a prison. He left. He got caught for doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. Got sent back. Found his cab. I don't, I don't know. Could have been one of the two. Doesn't really explain it. I don't necessarily need to need to explain it either <laughs> i don't think you need an explanation but i'm just thinking like there's got to be a separate movie out there about someone who's like just been like oh god his life is just he's just been stuck ernest borgnine driving this cab and he's like he's <laughs> in his early 30s and he's just so tired of it and he's like it, he just abandons it on the side of the road one day he's like i gotta go do something else and his life takes him in crazy places but it also takes him down a life of crime and drugs yeah. and whatever and total so, dark path yeah, yeah. And eventually he's caught and he's sent to jail. And he ends up in jail, which is this whole city, and he ends up finding the only thing in his life that brings him comfort of the way things were when they were slightly not as bad. He finds his his cab. His old 50s Chevy cab. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, that's that's a, well, maybe not a movie. That's a 20-minute short. 
I'd watch it. Yeah. I'd watch it as a full movie, sure. Prequel to <laughs> Escape from New York, but it's not the prequel you were expecting. Well, you don't call it Escape from New York. You just call it, uh, I mean, you can't call it Taxi either. Cabbie. <laughs> yeah. Cabbie. The dark history. <laughs> Path to New York. Yeah, that's it. Cabbie. Path road, to road New York. Road to New York. Yeah. Road to New York. <laughs> road to New York. <laughs> Good. I love it. <laughs> Highway to New York. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a cash cab. It was a... Uh, oh, no. Crime cab. Yeah. I don't know. Was... Uh, it was the It was the last cab he thought he'd ever see again. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So how would you sum up... Like, we kind of have now, like, kind of premise. Now the movie's happening. How would you sum up what happens in the movie? I would... It, it definitely... That's a hard one. It really is a different... Uh, film really uh it, it is a journey it is almost a western in a weird way yeah it is um, i would say, i would agree with that it is a uh and i think by john carpenter's own admission that it was kind of a western it basically kind of the lone hero who comes in and uh finds himself in a situation and and has to navigate this strange kind of dystopian future in search of what happens with with the president and the prisoners are trying to break free from New York because they don't like the fact that they've been locked in this kind of city playground. Um, he meets some friends along the way, you know, <laughs> help him on his journey. And eventually he winds up uh, finding the president and, and sacrificing uh, all of those friends completely just to get the you know president across the, the bridge and over the wall. Which really, one of my favorite moments in this movie is is the end when, like, we, he went through it and Snake asks him for a moment of his time and he's just like, I just want to ask you, like, a lot of people died to get you here. What do you think? And he's just kind of blasé, like, oh, well, this nation, you know, thanks him for their sacrifice, for their great sacrifice. And he just, like, flicks a cigarette at him and walks away. One of my favorite moments in that movie is just like, yeah. Because right, even after all of this, he's still a really shitty politician. Exactly. It was like, well, that was almost for nothing then. Yeah. And really. <laughs> well, the other crazy thing is like, so towards the end of the movie, they're in this cab, desperately driving towards, uh, towards the wall where mm -hmm. they're going to try to get the president over. But there are these, there's cabbie. There's Brain and there's Maggie, who all also assume that they also get to leave. Right. And uh, Yeah, Cabby, Brain, Maggie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's and, only four And Snake. Um, yeah. And there was, they never made any deal with the president. There's never any, like, spoken agreement. It's just like, like, why wouldn't the president just think, oh, yeah, they're my guards getting me to the thing, and then they can stay in jail. I have a feeling that that's what he was thinking as well. And I think Snake was just kind of gaslighting him. Like, yeah, help me out. And sure, you can yeah. come over the wall too. Why not? Yeah. I think when it had been like they were all going to escape in the glider, then yeah, because they would have been in the glider. They would have gotten out. Right. But then once that was destroyed by, quoting from the movie, the Indians. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, that was a little. Uh... It, it was so close to not being that bad. Yeah, and I, I'm not defending that either. Uh, I do think there was a little influence on the from the Warriors, which came out before this. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, assuming that it's like a gang of people who have adopted this title. Exactly, but who, like, who dress the part and just like rival dystopian gangs. But like, 
for me, like, they're driving to the wall, and then they have to get, like, winched up. Yeah. They're not gonna be. I was surprised that Snake got pulled over. I assumed it'd be like, thanks, Snake, bye. Exactly. And there is that moment where he stops the winch or whatever, and, and you do think Snake's just gonna, like, all right, well, now he's screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not letting him back. Uh and then, of course, the president shoots uh, the Duke, which is so weird. Yeah, it's a little dark. <laughs> Gets pretty dark. However, if you do have a president like we have now, not much of a stretch. Uh, yeah. Oh, a yeah. Really conservative, macho man who had been, you know, held captive or whatever by this person. Uh, again, I'm not a choice I'm defending, but. Also, not much of a stretch. Yeah, considering no, I don't think our it was president much of a stretch. The, I kind of yeah. spent a lot of the movie being like, "Look at this McConnell-looking motherfucker." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He was perfect. He was a perfect he, choice to play that he president. Was excellent he, casting. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, man, it was dark. So the other thing that we need to talk about is we need to talk about the Duke because I feel like the Duke in this movie is kind of the same sort of character that. Um, oh crap! Now I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the guy from uh, Demolition Man, the bad guy, the actor. Wesley Snipes? Yeah, Wesley Snipes. I kept yeah. thinking, like, Weston something. Yeah. Uh, so Wesley Snipes, it's the same sort of character as Wesley Snipes. And this is, like, Demolition Man came out in the 90s. And this is, like, it was, like, right after the L.A. riots in 1993. And yeah. so there was, like, this whole concept of scary black man. But, like, honestly, the Duke from this movie from 1981 is also the concept of the scary black man. Yes, And it's just like, man, white people have been scared of black people for a really long time. Yeah. Who's going to who's going to run a a jail colony? Well, clearly this uh, sadistic black person. Isaac Hayes. Yeah. (laughs) Who who quite the teddy bear from all. accounts. Like and really like just watching the movie. I'm like, this guy seems nice. Yeah, yeah. Isaac Hayes was a great dude by all accounts. Wrote seriously my favorite soul album ever written. I I recommend it. Go listen. Hot Buttered Soul by Isaac Hayes. So good. So good. Not a <laughs> not an ounce of hatred in that thing. But yeah, he was he was imposing and that's what the character was. Yep. Really. Just scary black dude. Yeah. And just straight out of central casting. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> And again, I, I can't defend that. Nope. All, all we can do is give it give it a better uh, better yeah. shot here. <laughs> it, it's like it. This is a movie that is one hundred percent a product of its time, and yet absolutely, all, and yet also timeless. Yeah, I know it's weird that way, and it's again dated. Like they they land on the roof of the World Trade Center. Like it's yep. there there are things that were very much of its time, and. Also, you watch it now and you're like, eh, I don't mind. <laughs> it's it's still a blast to watch. Yeah. I would still call it a fun movie, but it's just yeah. like, uh, you, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. And there were, and just to touch on that, there were a ton of like imitations that were done after this with the same kind of scary black man role as the villain. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think the Bronx Warriors was one of them and the bad guy was uh, was Fred Williamson football player uh who was just kind of doing the same thing isaac hayes was he was just chewing the scenery that was given to him yeah and hollywood hollywood setting the example for the country for decades to follow just being like hey you know this fear in the hearts of uh suburban america you've been right this whole time 
<laughs> pretty uh, much. Uh, uh, I mean, kind of, yeah. It, it's yeah, just, it's pretty just much. weird. So, with that in mind, when do you want to set this movie? I would say, I would, if we were talking about this in the 90s, I would say way in the future. But the way things have been going now, I, I would say 16 years probably is not a too far off from from <laughs> I mean that the 10 year deadline on climate change is less than that from now so like I mean I think setting exactly. it 16 17 years in the future is kind of reasonable Yeah uh, again now it's definitely something I can see happening uh in in a failed city <laughs> yeah you know, a bankrupt city i don't necessarily know it would if it would be new york i mean Probably i can more likely detroit mm, uh, i can give us a reason for it to be new york even though new york has amazing public transportation when you think of new york city mm-hmm. streets they are clogged with cars absolutely absolutely so if there's and i love new york so yeah let's do it <laughs> I, and i mean like we could very easily make this escape from detroit especially because detroit is also a major polluter right uh and like especially if because I think we should kind of have an edge of like climate things and you they like in terms of well we didn't we couldn't do any more construction because construction would release even more fumes into the uh, atmosphere and just make things exactly. even worse so we had and, to shut down cities like some of the worst cities right we had to wall off the river because it's uh you know it's toxic. toxic now yeah. yeah it's it's gotten the hudson has gotten to the point where it is you can't be in it without mm-hmm getting sick and then that would that would kind of you know if they did put a big dam wall there that would that would give the reason for a a statue of liberty island control center and b a dam like the sepulveda dam i, where can, they... I can even give us uh, another reason to have the statue of liberty collapse even though it's way out in the middle of uh, the bay of acid rain corroded the copper and then it causing it to fall over and then it floated and ended up uh beaching itself sure. on the New York's uh, city <laughs> the skyline. Man- Manhattan uh, docks. Or yeah, because that's how giant <laughs> copper statues work, right? They float? Mm-hmm. Yes, they float, and they eventually uh, beach themselves. Beach themselves. Yeah, you know, like uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah, come it's, on. Acid rain is a... It's it's definitely the number one eater of, of copper. Yeah. I don't sure. even know if that works on copper, but I assume it does. I don't either, but we're going to go with it for this movie where New York is a prison anyway. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, the, the whole purpose is that it's like, uh, it's island, like Manhattan Island or whatever, like that thing. And they just like break all the bridges. Can't get in the water. You'll die. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually relatively easy to wall off. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, if you, if you go right through the bridges, yeah, no way in, no way out. So one of the things they never talk about in the movie that I feel like we should talk about because I think it's also funny and it would also show a complete disregard for human life mm-hmm. uh, is they never talk about how the prisoners get dropped off. Yeah, that is true. Like, the, they never, like, the, put a parachute on them and drop them out of a plane. Because like, I feel like if a, a truck drove in, eventually that truck's just going to get beaten up, taken over, and like taken back out. Right, in the same way that when that helicopter came in, there was a bunch of guys waiting for him. Yeah. Um, so I can't, I'm trying to remember. There was more of that in the sequel 
that was like a deportation center and there was a boat or something like that. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's been a while. So what I want to do is put them in a, like a gel pod or capsule or something. Just drop them in. (laughs) And literally put them in a giant cannon and fire them into the city. (laughs) And like, there's sure there's a, a one in 20 chance that the person dies, but there's a but, 19 and 20 ch- percent chance that or a 19 out of 20 chance that they won't. Exactly. And I mean, we're kicking them out anyway. So yeah, why they're not? criminals. Yeah. And they're, like, they're not worth it. Basically is what and, we're saying. By <laughs> And so I want to treat this uh, in the same way that like, that's also how they drop off supplies. Cause it's still jail and they still like, don't want these people to like starve to death and eat each other. It is. However, they don't really touch it. The only time that they touch on that in the original film is when there are the the crazies who come out that are cannibals. Yeah. Uh, People who come up out of the ground and steal the woman out of chock full of nuts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And... Just still such a funny visual. (laughs) Yeah, it's hilarious, and I love it. Uh, But, but like, in my head, it's just, like, there's just regular cannon fire into the city, and when it lands, people get over there because they're like, it's either going to be food... Or someone, or another mouth to feed. But you won't know unless you're the first one there. Because it really is almost survival of the fittest the minute you land on that island. Yeah. And and especially, like, if it's all, if everything's broken up into gangs, you control the food, you feed your gang, and that's something that can be bartered. Or it's someone who you can immediately draft into your gang. Exactly. Or... If, you know, if they're coward, there could be, you know, dinner for the next week or so. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, it, it definitely, I guess, depends on the, the nature of the criminal. I, I do like that idea, and I think the pod that you launch with people should also be the the supply pod as well. That way, when they land, it is almost an immediate shock of, like, here's this, <laughs> all these people descending on this thing, not just for food, but for new recruits, or you could wind up being food yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they don't warn anyone inside. Like, in my head, I picture kind of like the pod that the president got into, like the escape pod from the airplane. Yeah, supposedly that's a real thing. Supposedly there is an escape is really? pod on the Air Force One, yeah. Weird. It's also in the Harrison Ford classic Air Force One. Yes, I have seen that one, but I don't remember. <laughs> um, I haven't seen... Anyway. Yeah. Different movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, and that's kind of, like like, how that functions and like you can have the rival gangs and they can and their names can be based on like the section of new york that they control yeah i I actually i like that better than like the early 80s like oh no it's the crazies it's the skulls man here come the skulls (laughs) instead we can have soho or you know yeah uh, i mean just take the the gargoyle approach yeah (laughs) Uh, but like I, i also like the idea of there being different communities because that's what would happen uh, within the criminals that spring up and with what that they can provide to the society like we get there and one of the first places snake bliskin goes to is a is like a cabaret right that's the first time he sees cabbie on broadway or something that wasn't broadway but it was yeah it was around it It was was off broadway it was off broadway production yes uh, everybody's coming to new york yes (laughs) Just one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's a bunch so of guys weird. in drag, blowing kazoos. You know. I, I took a picture of my TV when I was watching that. I sent it to you. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and gotta, you got to be entertained, even if you're in prison, man. I mean, what else are you doing with your time? 
You, but you kill you kill people, you cook dinner, what else are you doing? Right, but like I would love it if there's like just different levels of cannibalism. Like people like the pods will land in different areas. Sure, sure. And uh, like I like the idea of like if they land in Brain's area, his his group is very refined and very like we don't we don't eat people. Sure we might take their foot or we'll use them to bribe other uh other gangs, but we sure. don't eat them. They're they're more of a bargaining chip than they are anything. Yeah, you know? and then um, like, and then I would say whatever area of Manhattan used to be the super high end ritzy area of Manhattan, yeah, like Central Park area or something, I, like where the fancy people used to live. Yeah, like uh, I, I think the like two million dollar condos above the park, right where yeah. John Lennon used to live. And yeah, all that. that's where I would put the cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> so so Central Park, cannibals, yeah. cannibal town. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Central Park and the subway, I think. The subway is is a pretty great, you know, I guess, meat locker. I don't know. Ooh, I don't like that yeah. at all. Okay. Went a little too dark? I was, I mean, We'll dial it back. Bit. Yeah. But also, bit. like, considering that New York is also known for, like, rats and crocodiles in the sewer. Yeah, that's true. Make yeah, some giant can... rats in the like. Have there be not just? I mean, obviously you joke. Oh, people are the real monsters, but also there should be monsters who are the real monsters. Especially if we're talking hardcore pollution that shut down a major metropolitan city. Yeah, there should yeah. definitely. I mean, I definitely feel like, be at least an alligator. Yeah, or ROTUSs for sure. Well, okay, what is a ROTUS? Rodents of unusual. Uh, oh no, ROUSs. Rodents of unusual size. I don't think they exist. Oh. I uh, I don't know I I don't know I've seen a few New York rats eating a whole pizza, you know. <laughs> I, I'm doing uh, a, I'm doing a Princess Bride reference. Ah, uh, I haven't seen Princess Bride in like probably 15 years. I need to revisit it, that. It one. holds up. I recommend it. I I'm ashamed of that actually because it's got such a pop culture reference now. Then yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm starting to fall behind on that one. Eh, don't worry about it. Anyway, uh, Escape but, from New York. But uh, yes, Escape I, from New York. I'd also like to pitch that. Um, the kind of you know we have the Duke of New York right, who's kind of like he's gang of the leader of the gang of gangs essentially, and if we're gonna go New York, I think he should have taken over Empire State Building just because that's such an iconic New York thing that's still there, uh, still standing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think he should definitely kind of rule from you know the 88th floor up there, and I think that would be kind of cool. I agree. I like the idea of the Duke having control of the Empire State Building, and then the Brain just having the Chrysler Building. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, it's not as cool, but yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're into Art Deco. Yeah, you know, preserve a little bit of it and yeah. spray paint over the rest. It's fine. We, you, know. you were going to be the tallest building, and the Empire State Building was like, "Hey, surprise! We've got an antenna." Who even remembers? Yeah, who who for, who cares about that now? There's there's wood in the Chrysler Building from extinct trees, and you know, yeah, we got that, we got that, right? That, <laughs> and that's why I think it'd be fun to have the brain there. So it's like the brain kind of yeah. runs a rival gang, but it's a rival gang that is entirely subservient to the Duke. Yeah, I and I I think that gang should probably be more of like a we're playing the long game of well yeah. yes we are paying tribute to the Duke but we're being smart about it like yeah. we know that he's you know he's gonna need uh, this and that and we can play that card right now but really we run this bitch you know yeah 
It's the intelligent, like, the Duke wants this, so we'll give him something related to that, but not the thing, because the thing is what gives us power. And the Duke's just like, if I need to, I'll just go take it. But, like, they're Sure, we'll play this game. They're (laughs) having some fun, and they're out of my hair. Yeah, exactly. And they're not interfering, then then we're cool. We're cool. Uh, Especially the map. The map of the bridge was the big kind of... So with that in mind, especially if we're just firing people into jail <laughs> what do we want to do instead of that because i have a pitch but i'm interested to hear what you were thinking instead of instead of firing people into no jail? no what like if we're firing people into jail and there is no bridge oh i see what you mean uh how are they going to get out yeah what's what is the duke's plan what's he trying to do oh uh you know that's a good one i hadn't thought that far ahead because frankly the assumed... landmines on the bridge i thought was dumb because it's like oh Every time you find an exploded car, don't go under it. Yeah, it definitely kind of felt like a uh a, a easy way out, if yeah. you will. You know, an an easy an easy danger, easy booby trap to kinda of Yeah, and also go because around. they're like like literally a metal detector and they would have been okay. That's true. That is very true. Um And then it I somehow say... blows the cab in half. Yeah, that was that was a bit, <laughs> and and it was obviously a very controlled explosion too. I mean, look, it's a low budget movie. It, it was, I think, seven million bucks. I mean, so. they, they they stretched that money pretty far. Like, it looked they like did. a high budget movie. It did. It looks really good even yeah. today. Like some of the matte paintings. We got to talk about the talent that this movie kind of bore because those matte paintings were all done by James Cameron. Um, and there's there's a lot of other. <laughs> A lot of other talent that came out of this movie. Anyway, we don't have to. <laughs> we're on a roll here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't mean to redirect things. Uh, all right. So my quick pitch on how they get out, I would say the raft. I would say they build a raft or find a boat and try to go across this horribly polluted river. Uh, that could also potentially be mined. Interesting. That works. You, you don't get much drama as heightened as a raft. That's very true, especially in in a in a polluted river that could potentially be eating away the bottom of the raft. Or, yeah, you know, that could work. I think that should be their first plan. Because here's my idea for the stupid plan that they shouldn't have to do, and it becomes their last resort. Okay, great. I'm I'm happy to hear it. Because they get fired into uh, into Manhattan Island off of like this military grade super cannon. Mm-hmm. I would like it if the Duke is constructing, like, a cobbled-together sheet metal also cannon that will either <laughs> fire them back out of New York or explode. Or yeah. both, which is what it will likely end up doing. Which, uh, to add drama onto that, I do think that we should add, uh, like, some test subjects, you know? Maybe Brain is building this this yeah. return fire cannon for him, and that's that's why he's not on his uh his back for you know stuff because he's he's helping him with this cannon yeah. or and i do think i think there should like, be uh the duke is a, like, a cannon's just like a big tube with like uh, gunpowder at the end but or like some sort of uh combustible thing explosive yeah. but what brain provides is the pod inside something oh. that won't something that can actually take the force like brain figured yeah. out the formula for the goo inside that holds everything in stasis Sure, or the you know high plush seats or something that keep people. <laughs> um, I I like that idea, and I think I think it should be almost in a weirdly 
quasi North Korea kind of way of they keep testing it and it keeps falling short. Yeah. So they're always launching people off that are going to get over the wall and it and it kind of, you know, winds up just in this polluted river. <laughs> I also really like the idea of there's a bunch of people like dead splatted that are failed attempts and they have markers <laughs> not marking the death, but it's just like, oh yeah, uh, too much gunpowder. Yeah, that one that one went a little too short. Yeah. Uh, so we need to pull back on on the amount of mm-hmm. uh, you know, frunium that we put in it or whatever yeah. the hell. Uh, this one, uh, the pod was too heavy. They're, these are bodies. I mean, they'll be gone by morning. The flag's more important because it uh, lets us keep track. <laughs> it almost like paint splatter when it where it hits or something, and they can yeah. see it. They can see it from the top of the empire. Exactly. And we, well, we also get the added bonus of like they're the people who it's a punishment to get put into the testing thing. Because you will die. But right. then also there's people who like, it's my only chance off of this island. I'll take yeah. it. If I make it, I make it. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> better better than dying and becoming someone's dinner, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> I Yeah, something goofy like that. And so that's why I think that they should, I think they should do the raft first. And that's the failed attempt. Sure. And then, uh. Something big, grand, and dramatic that draws them back in, like literally off of the <laughs> off of the raft, or they have to go back for the tape or uh, CD or. I was even gonna say like uh, the dude with the spiky teeth could be standing on a nearby building and can harpoon the raft. <laughs> so now the raft is sinking. So like either they get poisoned by the water or they desperately have to get back to the city. Yeah, I like that. And then we can lose somebody in there too, I think. Yeah. Instead of everybody dying in the last five minutes of the movie, I think I think there could definitely be a casualty in that moment. Yeah. And one of them, she didn't need to die. Maggie didn't need to like kill herself because Brain was dead. Like the whole arc of her character was, yeah, the Duke gave her to Brain as payment for something. Yeah. And then as a, she as was a sex com- toy, essentially. Yeah. And then she was completely devoted to him. And I'm like, mm, I feel like she'd be looking for any way to stab him in the back and or she's the real brain, which is, by the way, what I think we should do. That is the exact direction I went with it. Cool. Um, anyway, uh, I also think that uh, that, yeah, she didn't she should have made it. She she was uh, she was definitely one of my favorite characters. They were great as a duo. But yeah. I, I, Maggie was one of my favorites. Uh, and she was she, she either was or became John Carpenter's wife, right? At the time they were married, yeah. Yeah, so it's all a bunch of pairs. Well, they are. Uh, they were all all friends making these movies. Yeah, too. which is Kurt, kind of amazing and, and beautiful. Yeah, that's the best way to do it, really. Donald Pleasance was buddies with John Carpenter. Kurt Russell was buddies with John Carpenter. They were all <laughs> they were all just pals who were like, let's go make this weird-ass movie. I mean, that's the best way to make any sort of movie like this, or any it sort is. of movie in general. Just like doing a, doing a project with all your friends. I mean, that's why we're out here. Exactly, and it's a, it's a very collaborative space when you do it with your friends. Yeah. It really is. Love it. Um... What other things do we need to talk about in terms of, like, plot? Because we talked about, like, kind of the world, but we haven't really talked about Snake Plissken at all. I I largely think Snake Plissken should probably remain close to what he was in this film. Just kind of a anti-hero who doesn't give a shit about anybody. Yeah, I will also um, say this. I did not do it. This is not a gender swap I did. Like, I left Snake Plissken as a dude. Same. Same here. Just kind of like... Eh, it, like kind of, kind of a... 
But like his story of being like someone in the military. So here, here's how I, I would alter it in terms of like, because we kind of like, it's a military guy, but then he like robbed the Federal Reserve. It's like, oh no, he's a military guy, came back and because he served in the military, lost his house, lost his job, lost this, lost that, because the United States does not take care of its veterans. So I want to yes. take that to the nth degree of like, recruited as an 18 year old because the United States loves sending teenagers to die overseas. Exactly. And, like, somehow he was a hero and he managed to make it back. And then all of the promises that he went overseas for were completely unfulfilled because the United States never actually expected him to make it back. Yep. I, I am 100% on board with that. And I believe that may have been the idea uh, when this movie was written. Because it was written in the time shortly after Vietnam. Yeah. When all, you know, all these boys got sent overseas against their will and then came back and had everybody spitting on them. Mm-hmm. Calling them baby killers and stuff, whereas they they were pawns. They they were essentially pawns in a game of chess. Yeah, and came home to you know a, a place they didn't recognize that hated them. Yeah, and I think Snake Bliskin is a perfect product of that because we've kind of had that happen again too with Afghanistan. I know a few veterans who came back and kind of lost everything and yeah, I had to yeah. rebuild and. Yeah, I think we all kind of know people like that are people suffering from PTSD who there really wasn't the support system that they needed. Exactly. And and while being told that they're, you know, able to have all these amenities given to them, they're when they get back, they're just stop holding your hand out, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Rah, 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 yeah. rah, 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 you know. Which I I know you know this, but like for people who are listening who don't know this, the term pull yourself up by your bootstraps is a term that was invented as an impossible thing. Like the guy who originally said it was like, it's as uh, possible for a, a poor man to become rich as it is for someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, which is something that it is impossible to do. And that's why that sentence was created. And then it stuck around. Yeah. And it, and it became a weird like sticking point too. It, yeah. it became the thing that all of our parents told us we need to do. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. So then with that in mind, why would snake Pliskin go rescue the president? Again, I think uh, I think I think the dangling carrot of the full pardon uh, would help, but I do I do like the idea of still being the antihero of him. I think he says like uh, I'm going either way; it doesn't matter to me. So give me give me the damn paper or whatever. Yeah, I, that was kind of what I thought. Like, well, I have to be there regardless. I may as well have a thing to do instead of just being bored. But yeah. I also would absolutely uh, give him something in the realm of like. Oh, I know they're going to betray me, so I have this ace up my sleeve of, I in anticipation of being betrayed, because mm, that's what I kept okay. expecting. Because that's really the movie that should have happened. Yeah, and I, then, I, I agree with that, and I do think that betrayal should should happen. You know, yes. somebody on the other side does stop the the winch, you know, or whatever. However, they wind up getting out. Yeah, you know. Um, I also want to give us something different than uh, some sort of hippie terrorist taking over Air Force One. Yeah, I, I don't believe it should be a hippie terrorist, but there's definitely... Uh, I also don't like the idea of it being like a... Like, like I would give it more in the realm of uh, <laughs> a, 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 a left-leaning president, though not necessarily like a progressive is the person who it is. And so yeah. I would make it some sort of like proud boy who's be like, no, this is what we're going to do. Hey, that's yeah. That's where I was headed too. Oh, but at yeah? the same okay. time, at the same time, I do like the idea of a of an oppressive president being the one. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, you know what? I take that back. Let's go with this. I because I mean, I would make thing... it someone like Chuck Schumer. 
Yes, the and I, I completely agree with that because he's definitely somebody who uh, does not deliver on, on promises. Yeah. Uh, and, and I could totally see him being the guy at the end. Well, I, you know, I, I, this nation greatly thanks them for their sacrifice. <laughs> I have to do what the people want, and the people want justice. Exactly. Uh, I, and I, I have no uh, needs or wants or desires. I am merely a vessel of the people. Exactly. I, I do with where the people drag me. Uh, and I do feel like that recent uh, that recent clip in our in the news of the, you know, the bunch of uh, right wing guys who tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Yeah, I feel like we've entered the territory where somebody hijacking Air Force One like that because of their political beliefs mm-hmm. could potentially happen. Like it could be a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something along those lines of being like a proud boy or or a ultra right wing, you know, pundit or something like that, taking the taking the reins and just being like, I'm doing this for the country. It's for the good of the country. It uh, also could be like we could do that or we could do it for like we can give them a really, really stupid reason to do it of like <laughs> uh, this president. um They were going to release an even bigger version of some sort of gun. And the president said, no, we're not banning any guns, but you can't. But this, it's this uh, this gun with a barrel that is two percent larger. Uh, I'm shutting that down. We don't need that anymore. Oh no! So this person, my rights. Yeah, this person literally hijacks Air Force One because they could not own a slightly bigger gun than the gun they already own. Ah, that's hilarious, actually, and kind of you know, spot on to where. Uh... John Carpenter was kind of going with this, I think. Is yeah. It's, it's the whole thing. It doesn't really take sides, and that's that was the charm of Snake Plissken, where he doesn't really have a side, whether you're right-wing, left-wing, he just fucking hates it all. Yeah. Uh, you know. Which I don't love, because like there's the whole Desmond Tutu quote that's going around. I think it's Desmond mm-hmm. Tutu. Like, the, if, uh, if you are neutral... Uh, if, you, if you are neutral in the face of oppression, that you are taking the side of the oppressor. That is very true. Yeah, that um, is very true. So I don't like pure neutrality, but I also think like even if even if he doesn't want to side with the quote unquote left, he also could be like, I don't care about the left, but I'm going to take down the right. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I mean, it does kind of look in the original film like he is kind of leaning that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially when you consider the politics at the time that film was made, which was very right wing and very American. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I'm totally in support of that. Cool. All right. Uh, what other things do we need to talk about in terms of like plot and who our characters are? Uh, who is Cabby? Is Cabby driving a cab or is Cabby driving a, an Uber Lyft or something? I was going to, I was going to pitch something like a, like a Uber driver. well when prop 22 passed i you know i lost everything (laughs) or okay here's my pitch so because of the way a lot of those rideshare things are going people who like move to the country and don't really have much of anything can get deals where they kind of rent a car from the company and then they make payments on the car by driving and doing these other things and then by the end of the service, like they end up sometimes buying the car, and so the company makes three, four, five times as much as the car is actually worth just from the payments and then charging the person for the car at the end. Mm. I would love it if like we kind of extrapolate that in the future, and it's cabbies like, 
like like literally cabby doesn't own the car the car owns cabby yeah that's pretty great and like um, cabby's still like i i got i just have 234 more payments to make this baby's and, all mine. <laughs> and then this baby's, and it's just a, it's a 40-year-old piece of junk. Yeah, it's like a Chevy Cruze or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm in full support of that. I think that's hilarious. Cool. In, in terms of backstory, I do think... Uh, Escaped the car, left it on the side of the road. Lived a dark life and then got thrown back in New York and that car was the only thing waiting for him. <laughs> it was my constant. Gives me comfort. I yeah. sleep in the trunk sometimes. <laughs> it's it's the only way I can feel close to anything by being close yeah. to myself. <laughs> it's cozy back there. It is. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other characters, I mean, yeah, there there were a kind of ter- a lot of tertiary characters that yeah, were I great. Yeah, I didn't but... recast that many. Like yeah, I, have I didn't one, two, either. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight plus writer director. Yeah. I did do I did do girl in chock full of nuts. I did, I did uh, recast her. Oh, we have a is it Scarjo? It did is not. Put, Oh, okay. Damn it. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just think it would be funny that ScarJo gets pulled through this chock full of nuts floor. Um, I don't know why. Yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, so like, let, let, let's get into casting, because I, I think we kind of have a sense of like kind of core concepts similar for the movie, but then a little bit more political for today. Yes, yeah. So, a little modernizing, a little coloring. Yeah. Escape from will. New York 2037. Exactly. Here we go. Uh, so let's talk about Snake Plissken. Who did you have? Well, for Snake Plissken, I did try... He was so hard, like, so hard to to cast. Because it's so inherently Kurt Russell. And he's he's attitude. He's kind of a every man for himself. uh, And he's a strong, silent type. Um, And I'm still... I'm not 100% married to this actor. (laughs) But I went with somebody who we've we've used before in in this. I went with Michael B. Jordan. To play Snake Plissken. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah. I I and, definitely consider Michael B. Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Michael B. Jordan is trying to have like a career shift in that like he's played a bunch of villains. Now he yeah. would like to play a hero. And so yeah. this is kind of a good intermediary like transition. Like you think he's the villain, but really he's the hero. Absolutely. He's he's definitely got an anti-hero vibe to him. Especially uh, I, I went for him because of his character Killmonger. Of course. Who really was kind of, you know, he thinks he's the hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everyone thinks they're the hero. That's the exactly. problem. Yeah, that's that's what makes a great villain. Yep. Uh, I Whereas, think Michael B. Jordan is a, is a great choice. Uh, I got nothing against uh, Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Who, who did you cast? I went with someone who is a little bit lesser known, who's okay. kind of like, but is kind of developing a, like a, a presence in action movies. I mean, he was in Prometheus, he's in Spider-Man Homecoming, and he's mm. also the star of the recent movie Upgrade. Oh, okay. I went All with right. an actor named Logan Marshall Green. Yes, I know him. Uh, I, I loved Upgrade. Uh, and I haven't seen it, but it's one of those movies that everyone I know who's seen it really likes it, and I really want to watch it, and I just haven't done it yet. Uh, it's, uh, I, I loved it. Um, and, and we'll get, we'll get into Upgrade a little later, because I, I pulled someone else in from Upgrade. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's fun. And so that's kind of the idea I had of like, I, like someone who has this combat experience, but also is an action star in the same way that Michael B. Jordan is like, I think they're both good choices for the same reason. And it's just, 
mm-hmm. different sort of characters, uh, like different style. And like I, I picked Snake Plissken just because, or not Snake Plissken, Logan Marshall Green for the exact same reasons that Michael B. Jordan works. Of like they can also do the comedy. Like they have kind of that wry sense of humor, and they can kind of lean into the jokes. Uh huh. And it, at the same time, it's totally believable that he could beat the hell out of anybody in the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically. totally believable that he could be a war hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of that. Both of them have that kind of rugged manliness to them, but also really dark sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're good. I like them both. We'll come back. Uh, okay. Since these are both great, uh, whoever has the least other things will get Snake. All right. Sounds good. Fair Sounds enough. Sounds like a plan. Uh, the next character I have is Hawk, the Warden. Someone we haven't talked about at all. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's, he's kind... like, he's go ahead. No, go go ahead. Even though he's kind of just this character who's just there to be like antagonistic, to be like, yeah, you're gonna go do the job, aren't you, yeah. Bliskin? Call me Snake. All right, Snake, you get out of there. Call me Bliskin. All right, fine. Uh, whatever. Make up what? your mind. Yeah. No, he the... he's definitely uh, that. Almost like a cheerleader. He's just kind of there to be a cheerleader. (laughs) He's there to kind Uh, of, like, give us a sense of the stakes and what else is going on in the outside world. Yes. Yeah. Weirdly enough, he's the man in the chair. Pretty much, yeah. That's exactly who he is in this film. And he was a hard one to kind of cast, too, because Lee Van Cleef was such a a choice. So I I almost kind of went in a weird parallel to him. Mm-hmm. with mine do you do you want to go first sorry I, I uh sure i'm happy to i also went on a weird parallel of i kind of i sort of tried to make him a little bit more bumbling but also like like capable of of having that that streak of of cruelty but mostly just like uh yeah man this is a fucked up situation but this is what you gotta do nothing i can do about it yeah. <laughs> is what it is man here you go yeah, and so I got your back, kind of. Basically, so that's why I wanted to go with Dax Shepard. Ah, okay, interesting pull for de- for that role. Yeah, uh, I I went uh, I went in a different direction. Please, completely, uh, and, it, and it a little bit had to do with the casting choice of Michael B. Jordan, but it, it's not exclusive. Um, I went with somebody who was an Oscar winner for playing a general. And and is kind of more of a hard ass. Uh, I, I went with Louis Gossett Jr. for for uh, Hulk. Uh, Definitely, he's uh, aged. Can totally be, could totally be a you know kind of oppressive warden military leader when he has to be. I'm and, looking him up because I don't necessarily know him. Really? Offhand. Yeah. Oh, I, like man. it's I, like I don't know the name. I'm bad with names, but like I don't even know if I recognize his face. What would I have seen uh, him in? So he, most recently, he was in uh, Watchmen, the Watchmen television series. He was really big in the '80s. His big um, hit was Iron Eagle. He was he was the general in that. Uh, his Oscar was um, an officer and a gentleman. Uh, he was in the original Punisher film. Let's see, I'm trying to trying to find other credits. I know he's oh he was uh, he was the alien in Enemy Mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he he's in Jaws, has, Jaws 3D. He was in Roots. He, so he has one episode of uh, Psych, which I think was the season I did not watch. Oh man, <laughs> I don't think I've seen anything he's been in. Like I'm happy to trust uh, your judgment because obviously uh, you know what you're doing in uh, based mm. on everything. And the fact that he has 14 projects in development, he's clearly very good. 
Yeah, he's definitely uh, kind of a militaristic. He's he's a great general, actor. Uh, played a general a number of times, <laughs> and and he's also. And I bring him back around because of of who he was in The Watchmen. Uh, great. Recently, uh, he definitely is kind of a double crosser. He's he's great at playing both sides of the of the fence, and I think that's what Hulk does. Hulk has an understanding of what Snake Plissken is going through, but he's also a bureaucrat. So <laughs> he knows uh, the system is broken, but that's okay with him because he's on top of the system. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, he's he's I, playing it to the best of his abilities. Cool. I think Lewis Gossett Jr. is a great choice for that. Then let's go with that. All right. Great. Uh, so the next person I have is Cabby. Same. Uh, because Cabby's great is super lovable, and you know Cabby's going to die, and you know you're going to be sad about it. Mm-hmm. But he really is the best character in this film. Yeah. He's, Just making oh. the best of a bad situation. Just great. Yeah, just kind of like, well, this is life, and here we go. <laughs> ah, well, what are you going to do? Just drive my cab. Yep. So who did you have for Cabby? You might laugh at this a little bit, um, and I'm not 100% married to it, but Cabby, because he is the best character in this film, and he is so distinctly Ernest Borgnine, like I cannot, I could not wrap my head around anybody who would be spectacular Cabby other than... Danny DeVito. Oh, wow. That is a choice. Yeah. It sure is. I know. But the more I thought about it, the more I was kind of like, I'd watch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But again, I'm not married to it. It was just, it was a hard, a hard cast to recast yeah. Ernest Borgnine. Fair. So my idea was that like, er, like the Ernest Borgnine character in this movie, the Cabot character is like, like the only character in this entire movie, he's having fun. And it's yeah. almost like he's in a different movie. From everyone else. Just collecting oh, totally. his little cassette tapes and going on his little adventures. And so yeah. that's why I kind of want someone who's also sort of in their own little world. Okay. Who we just like, we just like that you're here. And so that's why I thought it'd be fun to have Cabby be Ron Funches. Mm, yeah, I know the name. I need to look him up. He's been doing a lot of voiceover stuff recently. He was a voice on um, uh, Infinity Train, which I watched recently. And my God, is it good. Uh, but uh, he's okay. also most recently been the voice of King Shark in the Harley Quinn show. Yeah, yeah, I, I see. I I've got him pulled up here. He's he's also perfect. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a <laughs> he's, standard yeah. comedian. He's great. Mm-hmm. I I love him so much. Can, can we yeah. go with Ron Funches? Oh please, yeah. No, he's great. I think he's a great cabbie. Then uh, then the next person I have is Girl in Chock Full of Nuts. I did not recast Girl in Chock Full of Nuts, so... Uh, I, I She was a throwaway character, but, like, yeah. this movie has one woman in it, so I wasn't going to not recast the only other speaking woman. That's fair. Totally. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't necessarily want to give her a larger role, so I wanted to go with someone who would find it funny for to have the role that she has, to literally be the character named Girl in Chock Full of Nuts, because she says her name in the movie, but then she's credited as Girl in Chock Full of Nuts. <laughs> and I just wanted to go with someone who'd be like, yeah, this is so weird, I'll do that, that's funny. Yeah, sure, why not? This is hilarious. So who so, is it? Uh, Kristen, Kristen Ritter. Oh, great, yeah. She's... Perfect. Kristen Ritter of Jessica Jones, but more like her character in Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Yes. Yeah. No, she's she is perfect for this. For for a girl in chock full of nuts. 
Yeah. Uh, it, I could see her being pulled through the floor now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, damn, that's Kristen Ritter. She's going to be in the... Oh, she's dead. Oh, there she goes. Yeah, well, you know, she had to get, her for, get her for a day. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a goofy thing. Yeah. And so I just thought it'd be fun. No, that's great. I, I'm in full support of that. She was perfect choice. Excellent. Then that brings me to Brain. All right. Brain. Let's, let's talk about Brain. So obviously uh, we have to go with Maurice LaMarche, right? Oh, no. That's I went in a completely different direction. Uh, th- that's a joke. You don't need to look up who that is. <laughs> oh, okay. Maurice Sorry. La- Maurice LaMarche is a voiceover actor who is the voice of The Brain in Pinky and the Brain. Oh, that's why I know the name. Okay, I was like, I know the name, but uh, yeah. let me give me a minute here. So, he's not okay. he's not an on screen person necessarily. He's gotcha. the voice of brain. Okay. Uh so when we were talking about doing uh the characters, we kind of talked about like, well, kind of like switching around, making it so I kind of went with the expected uh, I, I gender swapped both brain and Maggie. So did I. Yeah. Cause it's more interesting that way, and also you get to like uh play around with the like expected gender norms of like yes. like you think it's going to be mag maggie or whatever we name the person is maggie is still fine i don't care um and then it's like oh no 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 brain's the one this one is the actual brain she's in charge mm-hmm. and so that's why i thought a fun person to go for would be alfrey woodard hmm. and also because she gives good aghast face and one of brain's big jobs in the movie as it is is just reacting to things of like here we go i can't believe this is happening and alfred woodard would be really good with that because like she's been also like she's been for people who don't know she's been we've used her on the show before but like she's been in a bunch of different things star trek first contact she's in luke cage she's in american violet she's great i'm looking her up i just need to see a picture sorry please oh yeah yeah she is great she was in star trek yes but tell me who you had for brain uh, I went in, in kind of an opposite direction, um, and and you'll have to go with me on this, um, just because uh, she is both brains and um, can stand on her own two feet, but is also kind of quiet for the character of, of brain. Uh, I went with Nev Campbell, and mostly because she is close to the age of where Harry Dean Stanton was <laughs> was at this moment when he made Escape from New York. I mean, that's a good enough reason. Yeah. I thought that she was, uh, she's held her own in a lot of action flicks. Mm-hmm. And I thought she would, she would be not only good as the strong kind of silent female type, but also uh, could you know, hold her own in a gunfight or a fight with the Indians. And also very much is someone who would run the uh, intellectual yes. uh, gang. Yeah, I'm perfectly happy to go with Nev Campbell. Okay. Talk to me about your Maggie. So my Maggie, like, like I said, we, we gender swapped. Um, I thought it would be funny to be kind of the, the opposite <laughs> of who, who Maggie was in this, which is, uh, you know, kind of, or not the opposite, rather, a, uh, a one-to-one, but gender swap. Sorry. Sure. I, yeah, yeah, I, I got that wrong. Uh, which was really just a sex pot role for Adrian Barbeau. She held her own in there, but yeah, she, they, they blatantly say... The Duke gave her to Brain to keep him ha- to keep him happy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I went with kind of a, a hunkier dude, hunkier action guy. Uh, I, w- I went with Chris Hemsworth, but I'm yeah, not I married knew you were to him. Say that, yeah. Um, as soon as he you said, I went with a hunky guy, Chris Hemsworth. Like, All right, mm-hmm. yeah, I got the <laughs> in there. I share a birthday with Chris Hemsworth, so I'm <laughs> so, clearly. 
I, it means you're the same person. Mm-hmm. We are. <laughs> Birthday buddies uh, share a special bond like that. It's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a fun idea, and I like the idea. I kind of went with a similar idea, but not someone necessarily who's as A-list. Mm-hmm. I went with someone who's been in Blade and Gotham and Vikings. Oh, okay. Um, I went with, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Donald Logue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe it's Donal. Donal Logue? Donal Logue. Yeah. Oh, man. He'd be great, too. Uh, Just because but... I, I kind of went with someone who very easily also could have been given, but is also like, like can do a little bit of the action, but is mostly just like completely devoted because he's 54. Right. It's mostly just like, whatever you need, I'm here to help. Let's get this thing done. And he's kind and of a putz, too, a little bit. A little so. bit of a putz, but also can yeah. do kind of like the stoic assistant thing. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely could. Yeah, I I, I have nothing against either of those. Um, I think Donald Logue would be a fun uh, number two for Nev Campbell. He's definitely funny in that role. He could definitely <laughs> yeah. be, be hilarious in that. You know, Dax Shepard would, would be good in that, too. Just, you yeah, brought him up earlier. Wrong. He would he would kind of be a fun Maggie. I, the only reason I would go with Donald Logue over Dax Shepard is uh, just because they're roughly the similar age, and if you're going to be implying, mm. may as well. Yeah. yeah. And All also because right. I, I think it's funny to have a couple of like <laughs> mid fifties people running around like, yeah, no, we're we run stuff around here. No, you don't. Oh, yeah. that's hilarious. <laughs> no, I think Donald Logue is hilarious. I, I absolutely, cool. yeah, cool. he's great. Love it. Then uh, my turn to go first. Let's talk about the Duke. All right. So, weirdly enough, it's going to sound weird to say this, but it was important to me that the Duke not be black. No, it's important to me, too. Because, yeah. like, it's the whole, like, oh, scary black man, he's in charge again. I especially, there was a reason why I went with uh, with a black lead and not uh, a black bad guy. Yeah. Just because just it's, like, really? We've seen that trope so many times. And as much as I love Isaac Hayes, and I love Isaac Hayes in this movie, it's a dated trope that needs to go away. It is. I agree. Um, that said, I went with someone who's also extremely well-known, very recognizable. People will be like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, he's been in Lost and Hawaii Five-0 and as a mm. voice in Shira and the Princesses of Power. I went with mm. Daniel Day Kim. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Daniel Day Kim is great. Uh, he's very, uh, can definitely be very imposing uh, yeah. when he needs to be. Bring uh, in the sinister intentions. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, yeah. I think I like him better than my choice. Um, Uh-oh, who'd you have? Uh, my choice, I went with somebody who uh, has played both both roles in action films, um, at both big bads and heroes. I went with uh, Jason Statham as, oh, as the dude. yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we both cast A-lister people. He's kind of an obvious choice, but I personally like Daniel Day Kim better. I... One of my favorite like roles Jason Statham plays are the one are, like the roles he's starting to play more now, where it's like, yeah, I mean I'm kind of the villain, but also here's a kind of quirky one line. Yeah, exactly. The, the kind of asshole almost. Yeah, and I'm enjoying that niche he's falling into, and I don't think that works for the Duke. Oh, not at all. Not because I feel all. like he'd have to just be like, I'm the transporter. Like yeah. that that version of Jason Statham. Like, like he'd be hiding around wraparound shades the entire time. Basically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with that, let's go with Daniel Day Kim. Please. Oh, that's a great choice. That's great. So the only other part I have cast is the president. Do you have anyone else beyond that? I don't. I tried to think of a uh, somebody who could 
do Romero, who was the the spiky haired guy. Cause yeah, the, the that, number two. And I couldn't because he that guy's just so freaking great. <laughs> in everything um, I mean the obvious answer is let me pull up the name of this actor at this point he might even be too old for this role but I feel like the yeah. obvious answer is Matthew Lillard oh yeah yeah that might be a little too on the nose though but I feel he's... like it's more fun if it's someone you don't recognize and you're just like what is with this guy <laughs> that guy's bizarre yeah yeah because like, that like... is yeah that is yeah. that character and I feel like those are sorts of the characters that Matthew Lillard plays, but now we all recognize Matthew Lillard, so he can't get away with it anymore. Yeah, for me, I just be, feel like I'd be watching Shaggy the entire time. So yeah. yeah, no offense to Matthew Lillard, he's a great guy. Yeah, and, uh, and honestly, but, and I don't think he's intimidating enough. But like, yeah, like someone, I I feel like we need an unknown. Oh, totally, totally. But I I couldn't I couldn't grasp couldn't figure one yeah, out. I didn't even try. I yeah yeah, but. Uh, I went first for the Duke, right? So tell me who you had for the president. For the president, I went, I did go for somebody who I thought could play an oppressive right-wing president, um, but who could also be an oppressive left-wing president, because I kind of felt like... I did, I did the same. That's the way Escape from New York was going, and he is a little bit of an A-lister, but I, w- I went for Gary Oldman as the, as the president. That's a good choice. I like that. That works in my brain. Yeah. I definitely feel like he's somebody who could could go out like our current president and be like, I'm a macho man, and then gets in a situation in New York where he's totally helpless and like all see, that I, macho man BS went out the window. And See, I would have said it the other way. I would have mm-hmm. set it up as, oh, I'm, I'm likable everyone's friend Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. And like, and it's like, oh, well, clearly you have to go recognize, uh, 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 recognize rescue this guy. He's a good president. He's a hero. We all like him. And then just over the course of the movie, you realize just how not a good yeah. person, how terrible and shitty he actually is. He's just totally a prick and it's all. Yeah. And that's the <laughs> shift. It's like, all a that's show. the Gary Oldman shift that I would say, be like, yes, that. See, we could go either way with it. That's what yeah. I mean. Uh, um, and I, I actually mine, like that a little bit better. I like your yeah. version much better. Because mine is not that at all. Uh, I went like, this guy is clearly like, I don't think we trust him, which is why I mm. think we need to go with Gary Oldman. But like, it's mm. like, mm, well, y- yes, but also you're up to something. And with our current situation, though, that is who we have as our leader. So right. but th- <laughs> this is a little bit more. Uh, di- this is more sitting in the chair, stroking the white cat kind of Bond villain as opposed to uh, uh, Goldfinger. Which is hilarious because the original president in Escape from New York is played by Donald Pleasance, who was Blofeld in. Oh, was uh, he really? In uh, one of the James, <laughs> one of the Sean Connery James Bonds. Good, amazing. Yeah. Um, which is why I went with Michael Ironside. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Ironside's pretty great, actually. Yeah, that but is, like, that is a great choice. But like it, it. So we. I like if we go with the like the Gary Oldman style that I said of like we don't immediately reveal that this is a bad guy. Like if it's Michael Ironside, right. you're like, oh, I know. Obviously, we yeah, can't trust obviously. him because Michael Ironside is great. Mm-hmm. Like, but honestly, for the way that we've kind of constructed this, he might he also probably would have been better casting for Hawk. Although we are sticking with Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, he would be great for Hawk actually. Yeah, but so I, yeah, so I think like we have to go with Gary Oldman. I agree with that, and I like the idea that he is that politician like Chuck Schumer who has this public 
adoration, this public view of like, man, this guy's this guy's on our side. He's great. And then you get up close with him, and he's he's mm-hmm. that that cold asshole at the end who is like, uh, yeah. All right, well, I, I, the, I'd like to. This, this nation thanks them for their great sacrifice. You know? And at the end of the day, it's just staying in power. And you will say the popular thing that is good and is actually the right thing to do, but only because it'll keep you in power. Exactly. Exactly. At and the end of the day, you're still going to protect your rich billionaire interests. Yep. Yep. Well, his rich billionaire interests. Right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what it, that's what the game is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that leaves me with four and you with three, which means that uh, for Snake Plissken, we're going to go with Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Which brings us to writer and director. All right. Uh, so uh, you went first last. So my writer is lesser known. Um, I went with this writer specifically because uh, she was, uh, she's kind of like on her way up. Um, okay. She is most recently she was like one of the writers uh, on Umbrella Academy, which oh, okay. I think really does kind of the contained action story, but building character very very well. But she's okay. also no stranger to doing kind of like tongue in cheek comedy, or at least kind of has that background because she comes from the comedy world when she was she's she's like she's worked with Key and Peele. She was the assistant okay. to Keegan Michael Key on Keanu. Like so, she kind of has that background to it and like i said she's very much on her way up and that's why they kind of like give these kind of movies to people like her sure so her name is aaron michelle williams uh aaron is spelled a-e-r-y-n oh well that would be why i can't find her yep i i I am not familiar i have not seen the umbrella academy oh Um, man you you need to watch umbrella academy I, you're not the first person to tell me that. Uh, I definitely, it's on my list. It's just I, I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, Fair, but I, I, I'm in support of her. I, I uh, hired a writer director, oh. so I, I don't have a writer. Fair enough. This. So tell me who so, your writer director is. My writer director was somebody uh, we had mentioned before on this podcast. Um, he also was kind of a parallel to John Carpenter. He got to start writing horror movies started making his own uh, films and uh, handles both science fiction, dystopian science fiction, and, uh, and horror pretty well, stylized way, and he's the director of Upgrade. I went with Lee Wannell cool. as, as writer-director, but just as easily can be in the director's chair. <laughs> I, w- I was almost kind of looking at, like, who is John Carpenter, you know, the next John Carpenter? And yeah. he's definitely the closest, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Uh, director of Saw, Upgrade, Cooties, Insidious. Yeah, Cooties is great. Cooties is a lot of fun. Uh, do you know what one of his upcoming projects is? I, I don't. Uh, he has three projects in development. One of them is a TV series called Upgrade. Mm. Uh, he's also the writer and director uh, on something called Wolfman. Oh, uh, great. And he's also going to be the director of a movie in pre-production called Escape from New York. Really? Last he I is re- the director. So not oh. only are you correct. <laughs> you, I'm you, correct in it, the real world, too. <laughs> you, you are correct in the real world, which unfortunately means we can't go with him because that's generally my rule. That's fair. No, that's totally but, fine. But we uh, can't go with him because you're so right. Like, that's yeah. what's happening. Like, yeah, well. you are literally <laughs> as correct as it is possible to be. <laughs> I mean, that's that's cool, but uh, all right. 
That's fair. We don't have to use him. I've got another guy in the chamber that uh, I actually thought I mean, was directed. I want to use him. I was going to give that to you because, like, I think he's uh, potentially better than who I have. But like, <laughs> if he's already doing it, then yeah, he's we need literally to, already uh, doing it. So, so okay, that's a, we'll, that's we'll amazing. Sh- we'll strike him then. Uh, th- then I'll go with Robert Rodriguez because I would also like to see a Robert Rodriguez escape from New York. I think that fair would be enough. Fun. I thought that he was originally attached to this remake that's been in development hell for 20 years now. But <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea that Lee Wannell was attached to a, to a, a yeah, he's, remake. He's going to direct it. Good for him. I'll, I'll see that movie. I like yeah, absolutely. Movies. All right. So anyway. I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't love Sin City. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sin City wasn't, wasn't all that great. But I do love his other films. Uh, I'm a big fan of From Dusk Till Dawn. It's great. Um, I, I liked his uh, I liked his uh, Grindhouse movie too, The Planet Terror. He just has that kind of drive-in vibe to him, which is fun, which I think could handle this material well. Condemned criminal Snake Plissken is dispatched to the Isle of Manhattan, now a quarantine danger zone, to rescue a female U.S. senator in danger. Ah. I hate it because that means that they're going to force a romantic subplot between Snake Plissken and the female U.S. senator in danger. I also hate it. <laughs> I also hate that. Uh, yeah, to be fair, uh, in the sequel, the the person he was going after was the president's daughter. And they didn't seem to have a have a romantic mm. at all. There, there was there was no no romantic overtones between them. But that was also fair. a John Carpenter film. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so let me tell you about my director. Please. Uh, so my director also is kind of someone uh, coming up. She is the director of Love and Basketball. She directed some Old Guard. She directed something called Shots Fired. Her name is Gina Prince-Blythewood. One second. I, I'm, uh, I've not heard of her. And what, what is her strengths? And why, why do you think she would make a great escape from New York? Uh, well, she's going to be like, she's directed like kind of TV drama mm-hmm. action things. Like she's a director for one of the episodes of Cloak and Dagger. Oh, okay. And, uh, like, uh, she's also, she directed an episode of the Bernie Mac show. So like she kind of understands like the comedy and she directed mm-hmm. an episode of Everybody Hates Chris. Okay. And, uh, she is, I, I don't remember anymore cuz I did this list a week and a half 2 weeks ago. Gotcha. And I literally pulled her cuz I found her on a list that was talking about why she was so great. Oh. Okay. And why she's like an action star who needs to know better. Uh, I uh I do remember Love and Basketball. I liked that movie a lot. Um I don't know. <laughs> it has it's very it's not similar at all in no. any way to uh Escape from New York. And mm. I don't remember why I went with her. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's because she like she worked on stuff like Felicity and South Central and it's like a little bit more um South Central was a little gritty. Yeah, um, like g- gritty action like getting to know the people who live in gritty action things and she's also the director of The Old Guard, which is the new action movie with uh, Charlize Theron which oh, stars somewhat okay. older people cuz that's the okay. whole purpose of the movie. That's why I went with her. It's because she directed The Old Guard. Oh yeah, this looks very escape uh, like an escape movie of some kind. Yeah. My premise, <laughs> uh, my understanding of the premise of the old guard is it's literally like they're all immortal. They've been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And they kind of like push the world to go one way or the other. Uh. Uh, and they now must fight to keep their identity a secret. Just as an unexpected new member is discovered. Interesting. 
More like Highlander. Than... <laughs> it is a little bit. Um, I was watching yeah. a video about it. It was like kind of based off of this old uh, uh, Japanese movie. Oh, okay. But yeah, that, that's why I went with her, because she directed The Old Guard. Yeah, The Old Guard looks like a lot of fun. Um, I've just been cruising through stills from it. Yeah, I'm full support of her. Yeah, and I'm also perfectly happy to go with Robert Rodriguez or uh, anyone else. But like, that, that, like in the back of my head, that's kind of why I came up with it. I mean, the unfortunate thing is that like, because your choice is so good on the nose, yeah. <laughs> it, it like it literally you hit a bullseye. So here's the thing with that though: is this supposed Escape from New York remake? Like I said, it's been in development hell since 2008. So I have always been of the opinion to not pay attention to it because it's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's so, fair. It's. Uh, I wish I could see more information about this. Yeah, um, I know. I, the last I heard was they had Kurt. They were talking to Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt Russell, to yeah. play Snake, which they do look identical. <laughs> But, um, yeah, again, I, like that, I'm not really interested in seeing. Yeah, but. its pre-production status was updated February 2nd of 2019, so that's well over a year ago. Relatively, you know, um, recent. I'm, it could be, I mean, it, I'm, it, ha- I'm happy to still go with uh, Lee Whannell as our director. Okay. And then just because it was so perfect and because you didn't know, I'm happy to do that. Okay. All right. Because I, I, do, I do think he's probably the the best suited director out there now to make an escape from new york film clearly uh the industry agrees yeah uh, <laughs> look at me knowing the climate of b movies <laughs> yeah but i will say let's go with uh aaron michelle williams as uh our writer and then she just works with uh this guy as the director sure i'm in full support of that all right so then uh we've got our escape from new york 2037 <laughs> uh full cast and everything Yep. Unless uh, unless I'm missing something, because you said you wanted to talk about like some of the production and like, did you have someone to do like the matte paintings and the everything? No, I don't. I just I I find it fascinating that there were so many people that worked on this movie that went on to do so many other things that are in the kind of nerd lexicon. That's all. Uh, it, it, I didn't really have anybody to replace them. It was just you know like. There, almost everybody who worked on this movie went on to to have their own place in the world. So, in the good, that's all. Well, well, then let me at least tell you about the people who will be working on ours. Great, I'm in. Uh, <laughs> we have Escape from New York, 2037, starring Michael B. Jordan as Snake Plissken. Hawk will be Louis uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Cabby will be Ron Funches. Girl in Chock Full of Nuts will be Kristen Ritter. Brain will be Nev Campbell. Maggie will be uh, Donal Logue. Donal Logue, yeah. Donal Logue. Uh, and then the Duke will be Daniel Day Kim, and the President will be Gary Oldman. All of this will be written by Aaron Michelle Williams with help and direction from uh, Lee Wanell. Great. And that is our Escape from New York. 2037. 2037. Oh, wait, I do think uh, we should make an offer on our film to have John Carpenter come back and do the score like he did for the last Halloween film. Is John Carpenter still alive? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand. For some reason I thought he died in the last couple of years and just like, because I know that he's just been kind of like out and about making music. I assume that was a job you wanted for this movie. Oh, well, I'm happy to take that offer from John Carpenter. Then I'm more than happy to do the music for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, if John Carpenter wants to, that's fine. But I was going to give you first right of refusal. Oh, great. Well, poor John Carpenter's out of a job then. That's the case. (laughs) I mean, 
I, I hope someday he's able to recover. Yeah, I'm sure financially he will at some point. Don't worry. <laughs> They're still making another Halloween film, so he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm certain of it. But yeah, we did it. Great. We made it. We 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 made a movie. Uh, yeah. Tell me about uh, what other things you want to promote and plug and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, we haven't been able to to do much of the the filmmaking game because you know we're in a global pandemic. So my focus has been music. Uh, I've got. Uh, one of the scores I did coming out around Halloween on both iTunes and SoundCloud, remastering them personally this time. So they, they sound good. So this uh, is coming out in November. Do you want to tell people uh, what that's called or what they can do to look it up and find it? Right. My apologies. We forgot this was coming out after Election Day. You can find it on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, will be the Swipe Left soundtrack is the first one coming out. Uh, Just music I did for the film I made, Swipe Left. And then uh, subsequently, we'll have every two weeks, I'll have another uh, album out for uh, just scores that I've done over the past few years. Uh, The last one being Stark Raving Actress, which just had its virtual premiere at a film festival that I didn't write down. So I can't (laughs) (laughs) I can't I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, But that one was I was just one I did the score for. Um, That's exciting. So, yeah. So Uh, it's a soundtrack to Swipe Left. Yeah, coming out on around Halloween should be available when you hear this on yes. either iTunes or SoundCloud under my name, Kevin Mosteller. Cool, love it. Uh, and what social media do you want people to follow? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, I don't really use Twitter anymore. Every now and then I do. It's kind of Fair accessible. Enough. It's you can find me on Instagram at Kev Mosteller. It is at K E V M O S T S T E L L A R. Great. Nailed it. Yay. (laughs) Nailed it. First take. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter, cesspool or not. That's where I live. Uh, (laughs) At Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow uh, the podcast at Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Instagram. Or join us on Facebook at Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. Or uh, as a way of celebrating something in the election, I hope. God damn it, I hope. Here's here's hoping. Uh, Yeah. Find some podcasts you like and uh, go on Apple Podcasts and leave them some five-star reviews. It doesn't have to be ours, although that would be very nice. But yeah, go online, leave some podcast reviews. It really helps us. And uh, gosh, I'll think you're swell. (laughs) You'll forever have my admiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so then in that case, uh, let's end the way that I've been ending these shows. Kevin. What is your favorite quote from the movie Escape from New York? Call me Snake. All right, Snake, what do you want to do next? Mm. Call me Bliskin. Call me Bliskin. Why does he do that at the end of the movie? I don't know. I, I always thought it, I always thought it was like a jab, like a like a how dare you? Don't call me that. Like fuck you. You know. <laughs> you don't I, have the right to call me by. Yeah, I, part of me was like is like oh uh like he's changed now he doesn't want to go by snake because that was that man's dead he's gonna live a different life now but part of me is also just like no he's just messing with the guy yeah like whatever he calls him it's wrong call me the other one he calls him that nope i prefer the other one i feel just, I, that's probably more plausible than <laughs> and uh you know what full respect i like it yeah I mean, uh, let's see. Oh, wait. My my other favorite quote is, I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. That's a good one, too. Yeah. That is a good one, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. We did it. 
<laughs> thanks, we made thank it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yay. Hope you enjoyed Escape from New York 2037. <laughs> uh, if you follow the, the marked lights to the lobby, you can also purchase some snacks. <laughs> but remember, if you purchase anything that we deem illegal, the uh, United States Police Force will be waiting for you outside the theater. I hope you enjoy spending the rest of your life in New York. Bye. (laughs) Enjoy Broadway. (laughs) All right, I'm stopping the recording now. All right.